cuts it back. 40, 45, 50. He's off to the races. Down the left sideline. To the 15, 10, 5. Touchdown, Aaron Jones. Oh, what a play. This is the Quick Slants Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Quick Slants podcast at Game On Wisconsin. I am your host, Jason Perrone. You can find me on Twitter, at Jason Perrone. As always, want to hear from you. Any topics, questions, ideas, tweet me. Let me know what it is that you want me to talk about. I have a special treat for our Packers fans, especially the Packers fans who followed this team Back in the early 2000s, as I was able this week to have a conversation with former Packers great and former All-Pro offensive lineman Mike Wall. You might remember Mike as one of the stud guards on that offensive line that paved the way for many years for Amon Green. They led him to an 1,800-yard season in 2003, and he was also part of the offensive line that blocked and protected the legend that is Brett Favre for many seasons as well. A lot of games won, a lot of playoff games. Had a great time talking with Mike. That conversation is coming up shortly. So it's going to be a little bit of a longer show because Mike had a lot of things to say about his time in Green Bay. And I also tied some of my questions to him into this year's team to get his take on what he thinks about the offensive line. And with a healthy battle going on in training camp, the offensive line is a topic. It's definitely going to be... A battle to watch for. So we'll get to that in just a minute. But the Packers made a move. They did what they had to do. They had to get some value for a player that was probably not going to play much for them this season. And I think that became apparent to them. I think, you know, his swan song was Saturday's preseason game against the Houston Texans. And that was cornerback Josh Jackson, former second round pick. I was very excited when Jackson got drafted to the Packers. I thought they'd take him in the first round that year, and for them to get him in the second round was a huge steal. He had a big preseason game that year, had a pick six. Seemed like he was destined for some really good things. He recovered a fumble, a block punt for a touchdown early in the 2018 season. It just seemed like so many things were gonna, good things were going to happen for Josh Jackson. He was going to be such a big part of what the Green Bay Packers did, but it just wasn't meant to be a couple of injuries and just an inability to get on the field, a healthy scratch quite a few times in 2020, led Josh Jackson to the New York Giants. And so we wish Jackson well, hope everything goes well there. And in return, the Packers pick up a cornerback, Isaac Yadam. And Yadam is a corner who has played a lot of football. He's been healthy. He's appeared in two years in a row. He's appeared in every single game. So I think the Packers were looking at that durability and saying, hey, this guy plays, he shows up, he's available. And Price playing special teams, a veteran, made some nice, nice plays in his career, started a bunch of games, could do a lot worse. The Packers are really stacking this defense and this roster and the depth. It's all about the depth. I've talked about this so many times. Who's behind the starters? Who's behind the guys that are behind the starters? Those things are so important and so key. So it may not be the big names and splash names that everybody wants to get really excited about, but this Packers team is really shaping up to be something really special. Obviously, if they stay healthy and can finish out games and win games, there's no guarantees in the NFL. But Brian Gutekunst, general manager, is doing some, doing some things to try to improve this team and keep them as competitive as possible. 
So welcome to Green Bay, Isaac Yadam. Hope you have a great experience so far. Look forward to seeing you out on the field with the Green Bay Packers. And as we know, every every player and coach listens to this show, so that's why I'm kind of talking to him through through my microphone here. But all right, that's enough yapping from me. You're going to hear my voice a little bit in a minute here. I'm going to turn it over to the interview I did with Mike Wall. I hope everybody enjoys that conversation. And as you're, you're listening to what Mike had to say and thinking about the offensive line this upcoming season. All right, we are here with former Green Bay Packers great offensive lineman and 11-year NFL veteran Mike Wall, former Green Bay Packer great from 1998 to, Mike, correct me, until... 2004? 2004. 2004. And then all all you did, all he did was leave and go to the Carolina Panthers and put up an all-pro season in Carolina (laughs) as we suspected that he would. Mike, thank you so much for joining the Quick Slants podcast. It's great to have you on. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. So let's start with kind of what's going on with you and and your life and anything that you want to want to promote. I know you're working on some things on the side here. So tell our audience where they can find you and kind of what's what you're working on and what's going on with you. Sure. I run I run a podcast on player development, uh, process to perform. You can check that out at process to perform.com. And through that, that same vehicle, I, I work with I work with athletes. I have a total athlete development platform that I work with athletes from pros all the way down to preteens. Um, really giving them the tool set to, that it takes to kind of get to that next level, become elite. So if you're a competitive athlete, an aspiring athlete and wants to you know, go to college, wants to play in the professional ranks, uh, if you're, if you're a professional that is, is trying to get that bigger contract, we work mindset, technical and ownership decisions uh, in the best interest of future you. And we, we just, uh, we spend a lot of time building that, what I just call, like to call elite level tool set. So that's a process like everything else. And um, we, I spend, you know, between that and, and raising two kids and, and being married to a, my wonderful uh, wife of, let's see, I want to say 21 years now, just uh, just living a good life in Texas here. Outstanding. Yeah, outstanding. Uh, congratulations on that. And obviously on a great NFL career. I know we've got a lot of fans that are going to be really excited to hear from you. Um, it's it's been a it's been a while. So uh, I know you recently had a chance to come back to Green Bay, and you were talking a little bit before we started recording about that experience. But just tell everybody kind of what you saw a couple of years ago when you came back, and and some of the changes and and the cool things going on in Green Bay. Yeah. So so certainly in the the alumni association of Green Bay, they really treat you like family. First off, and, and it's and. Being part of the Packers is such a uh, is such a unique opportunity, and it was such a, a has such a special place in my heart. Um, I've I've worked with some other NFL teams uh, outside of being a player. I've uh, I was obviously went to the Carolina and then and spent some time in Seattle. Seattle's a phenomenal organization as well. But there's just something special about being a Packer. Uh, I came back uh, for an alumni weekend and and just got to spend a couple hours tailgating with some with some new friends. Uh, out out in the out in the lot and uh and then went in and and just got very lucky there was some a couple other alumni that just happened to be in the alumni suite up up for the game and so had like a mini reunion lambo field is even more amazing now than it was back then i've I've gone back a handful of times for some some of the hall of fame stuff with chad clifton and mark tauscher marco uh and so that's been an unbelievable experience as well but you know it's just always so nice to be able to go back to a place where uh, everything's changed, but nothing's changed. The same people are walking in the building. The building's just a little bit bigger. Uh, the fans are just as awesome as, as, as they've ever been and just love, love the team. And, uh, it, it's just so much fun. I, I love going back there. I wish I could get back there more often. 
Yeah, it is obviously I'm biased, but it is a very special place. And so I always, always like to hear the kind of, you know, how do things look now, what the experience is for former players coming back. And obviously, hopefully got a lot of love as fans are going through the line and they're recounting some of their favorite moments. And I certainly have some of my own. I know we talked about it a little bit before we started and we'll get into a couple of those moments uh, a little bit later. Actually, I, I, one thing I didn't tell you was the first uh, NFL game I ever went to, um, actually I should say Packers game, was here in Phoenix because I live in the Phoenix area for a long time. So it was in uh, 2000, and it was okay. probably week three or four. So you guys are like, oh, perfect. Let's go to Arizona in the third week of the season when it's still 100 degrees. They were still yeah. playing at Sun Devil Stadium. Now, it was an overcast day, but if I remember correctly, Amon Green had just joined the team, and I don't know if that was his breakout game, but he had a hell – well, first of all, you guys trounced the Cardinals. I mean, it, it – they weren't very good back then, um, still aren't anymore now. But, you know, I like to throw shade at the local team as much as I can. But that was uh, that was my first Packers game, and I was probably, gosh, 10 rows off behind your bench. So seeing all you guys there and, and seeing Favre and everybody interacting with the with the fans was, was a super cool experience. Um, that's one moment. I was also at the 2003 game. Uh, you probably remember that game because you probably got heat stroke. Um, and that one was really hot. That was earlier in the season, too. Sunny day. Uh, the Cardinals ended up pulling it out at the very end. But um, had some had some really good times watching you play ball for the Green that, Bay Packers. That was the only that was the only game. So that was a it was 130 degrees on the field. Uh-huh. It was a, it was at Tempe Stadium, right? Sun Devil yep. Stadium. Uh huh. And uh, I remember I remember. So you used to have to walk up about an, uh, probably it's not that far. It's probably eighth of a mile. So it felt like forever. You had to walk up this hill. So they had the, the, the visitor's locker room. They had this, like, hill you walked up and you got into the stadium. And I remember walking down, and I, and we're all dying in warm-ups. Like, the game, as far as we're concerned, we just don't want to die at this point. And I remember I'm in a full sweat. You know, you don't even know if – you don't know if you're sweating or evaporating. But I saw Pete Kendall. Pete Kendall was playing for the Cardinals. He was a left guard for the Cardinals. I think he was in Seattle before that. And I said, Pete, how do you guys do this? And Pete, Pete wasn't even sweating. He goes, yeah, it's – he gets pretty bad out here. He was just kind of, as a matter of fact, and I thought, man, we were in for a lot of trouble. And I, I, that's probably the only game I've ever played in my life where we lost the game, and there's just a little part of you that you're obviously disappointed, but we were just all happy to be alive. Like that's the only time I ever thought I, was, I might die on the field because they had those sunshades out, and literally the difference in temperature between sitting in the shade with the air conditioning, the fan, and the and the the mist coming on you and stepping out of the shade was like 40 degrees and it was immediate. And, uh, I just, I just remember thinking, I don't, well, I don't remember thinking anything except for, I, I hope, I hope this, I hope this goes well. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was crazy. Well, it was a competitive game. Uh, you know, it was, a, it was a close game. I think Emmett Smith was with the Cardinals. That was the tail end of his career. And it, it came down to a, a final play at the end zone. So it was an exciting game. And actually the group that I went to the game with, they all had to retreat back into the, uh, you know the the inside area where it was shaded. Of course, I never do that. I don't even leave games early. I'm the I'm the one guy that's still standing out there losing his voice. I did. I probably broke a vocal cord screaming at Cardinals fans at that game. But uh, that was uh, that was a lot of fun to watch. Now they they play in Glendale. It's a covered stadium. It's it's indoors. It's a little bit cooler on the field. I would have to say um, they finally got that right, being that it's a a Phoenix stadium. But uh, I, I wanted to ask you about. Uh, one of the things Aaron Rodgers said recently, because I know you're, you keep tabs on the Packers a little bit, he when he came back to training camp, he talked about some of his experiences in watching past veterans and past teammates leave the Green Bay Packers. 
and how the organization maybe needed a little bit of an overhaul in terms of its mentality. Um, obviously, this was a while ago when you left Green Bay when you when you went to Carolina. But I wanted to ask you on the you know kind of on that um, on that topic, what your departure from the Packers was like. Like, how did that go? And you know, you obviously went out and balled out in Carolina. But how did the departure go from from a, from the standpoint? And, and was there anything that Aaron said that you could relate to? Well, you know, I think different people running the running the operation. First of all, that was Ted's first year as general manager, um, and Mike. Uh, Mike was still head co- Mike Sherman was still head coach, uh, and and you know Mike wanted me to come back, and I know I know and at, at the time Brett made a big deal about the fact that they didn't retain Marco or I uh, because you know we had a very special lineup there, and I think we had a good a, a good connection with, with the quarterback at the time. So uh, and then we also lost uh, Sharper and I think some other guys that were key ingredients to that team. So it was it was one of those years I think probably Ted had to come in and, and kind of make it known. He also made a statement that, as I recall, that. You know, guard was one of those replaceable positions, um, which they did eventually replace both of us. But I think it took longer than they expected. And, you know, for me, though, I knew that uh, I knew first off that at that point I had I felt like I had been playing at a level that should have gotten garnered some recognition. and I wasn't getting it. I had some ideas of why I wasn't getting it there. Um, And. I knew that I was going to be the top free agent lineman in, in the market if I left. And I was going to, I was going to kind of command a, a contract that was probably going to be difficult for them to match. And they had kind of said the same and they wanted to just kind of string me along on, on a shorter deal um, so that, you know, we could kind of make the numbers work. But ultimately I, I think I was just ready to go. And, and at some point, I think in everybody's career, you, you do want to get that recognition that you think you deserve. Um, you know, having said that, it was probably the biggest mistake of my career. I wish I would have stayed in Green Bay because the ability to play in one place, especially a place like uh, like Lambeau Field and, and for that organization, the ability to play in one spot for your entire career is really something special that, that you should treasure. And I, I highly, highly recommend to everybody that I talk to that's playing for a good organization now to really consider what's the most important thing in your world, um, especially if it's just come down to uh, – to some at that point would might be considered loose change um, between contracts because it's so important to play for a good organization. I've been around some some ones that aren't so good, and uh, the experience is completely different. So um, I didn't leave there with any animosity, certainly, but I did kind of feel it was my time to move on. Uh, and then I think about you know I, I had a, I had a nice career after that, but I think about six weeks into uh, being somewhere else, I realized I'd made a big mistake. You know that's interesting because you had a great season in Carolina. So do you think? I mean, obviously, you have to be confident and bet on yourself. But do you think you put up those same numbers if you stay in Green Bay in two thousand five? Uh, same numbers as far. Well, so I think what happened, to be honest with you, is is looking back at it, is that uh, you know people don't really know what they've got until it's gone, sometimes. And so when I looked at when I look back at um, at like you know at the all the voting that it takes place with like fans and stuff, you know, we they used, they bring that information in. Back in the day, they used to bring that information in for us and. I remember there's, I think, two years in a row where I was a, a, a top three or four um, player from, I think, the or, or a vote getter from players and coaches, but I was I wasn't in the top in the top ten for fans, and I didn't do a lot to you know propagate that, but there's you know there's some other things probably at play there that people don't know that I'm playing well, so. Um, I think once I left and the Packers, I think were four and twelve that year, struggled. We went to the NFC Championship with the Panthers, had a lot of success. I think probably I probably made it to uh, got all those postseason awards because Packers fans were probably voting for me because they realized that uh, I had I had probably 
uh, I, or I, I might have been able to help them a little bit more, and uh, I, I was probably a decent player when I was there. Yeah, there's probably still – I'm trying to think of, of – I lived, it was probably two or three houses ago. There's probably still a hole in the wall from my head hitting it when you left because as a fan – and Marco too, because as a fan – how I saw how important that run game was with Amon Green, and you guys were obviously a big part of that. We're going to talk a little bit about 2003, which was a very special season when he put up 1,800 yards. Um, if it wasn't for Jamal Lewis with the Ravens, you've got the leading rusher in the NFL to to your credit that you're paving the way for. So uh, that's you know that's that's interesting that uh, that that was kind of the the team's mentality, and we we saw. Other position groups, you know, certain GMs do kind of do that, right? Like the inside linebacker position, for example, when they changed mm -hmm. to the 3-4 and inside linebacker was just never an area where they wanted to put a lot of emphasis or spend a lot of money. And we, we you know, they, they got lucky. I think the year they won the Super Bowl in 2010, they had Desmond Bishop, Nick Barnett, your former teammate, Nick Barnett was there. Mm -hmm. And there's that's that's just kind of, you know, an interesting take on that. And, and we do see teams do that but you're absolutely right because it was not until Sitton and Lang came along and that was a good five years later I mean obviously if they think they're going to replace a pro bowl all pro level player they're hopeful that they don't have to wait five years but like you said they did they did have to wait that time and, and to get that talent so but I mean glad to hear that that the experience in Green Bay was was what we we say it is because as Packers fans obviously we're very prideful and you always wonder what it's like uh, when you go somewhere else. But, you know, thinking back to when you when you first came in to the league, you know, here you are getting getting drafted in, in the supplemental draft by one of the most iconic franchises in the history of football. And so talk us through kind of what that was like and getting yourself uh, to practice. And you, you, you joined the team in 1998, so you caught the tail end of Reggie White's time in Green Bay mm -hmm. and and that Super Bowl team from 96 was mostly intact. So, what was what was that like getting on the field for the first time and your your first couple practices and that experience? Yeah, it was it was amazing. Well, so first off, I, I come from the Naval Academy running option offense. So I really have no business being in the NFL from like a technical standpoint. I I have no I I run an option. I look like a tight end in my stance. I come off the ball low. We have a kind of a knee roll idea. It's, you're basically going out and trying to get to the second level all the time. No pass pro, no nothing. So I was a supplemental draft pick, and I was holding out. My agent Neil Cornish um, was was arguing over the language with uh, with Ron and his staff. And uh, how many years they, I think they wanted the contract to be, but I ended up showing up late to training camp. So as you, if you're a supplemental draft pick, you know you miss all of the um, all of the mini camps. So I showed up, I think week three into training camp. That was my first action. I never put on a Green Bay Packers helmet before that day. So I walk out there and I'm you know I'm super happy. I signed my contract. I'm, I'm just so happy to be there. My parents are there. We go down to practice. Mike Holmgren calls me over and he goes. He goes, hey, hey, Mike, hey, come here. Hey, did you get what you want? Did you get what you wanted? And I, I started, I started to say, oh yeah, thanks, coach. And he, he, go, he just said, you're a mf an idiot. I, I could have given you the difference out of my wallet. He pulled his wallet out and kind of like opened it up, like <laughs> it wasn't a big deal. And I just started, you know, I'm, I kind of wide eyed at this point. And he just said, he said to me, he, he goes, uh, he goes, well, you're not playing this year, so I'll see you next year. And I said, oh, great, 
great, great, warm, warm welcome to Green Bay. So I go over to Tom Levitt and he says, he goes, hey, look, you know, uh, I got to get these other guys ready. So you just, you just got to figure it out as you go along here. And so not a, not a great way to start the day. And then we went into one-on-ones, which we didn't really do at the academy because we run a lot of uh, option, obviously. And uh, they shut down the, the rest of the offensive line. And I just, I think I took, I want to say I took 13 snaps in a row at one-on-one. And it was, it was Reggie. It was Gilbert, it was Santana, it was Von Booker, Billy Line, Vonnie Holiday, and over and over and over. And I'm just getting my head – Jonathan Brown, third third round pick from Tennessee, just getting my head beat in. Everyone's taking a shot because I can't even get in the right stance. And uh, I went home that night and just said, man, this is going to be a, this is gonna be a little bit harder than I thought. But, you know, the good news about coming from a place like the Academy is that uh, – we're so happy at the Naval Academy to, to, for the opportunity to play football that, you know, we were t- full tackle, cutting our players, tackling the quarterback, going full speed as, as hard as you could possibly go every single day. Cause we're so happy to not be back in the hall getting yelled at that when you put me in an environment where, you know, Hey, I got to practice for like three hours a day and uh, just bust my ass and you guys are going to keep me around if I do. Okay. Don't let me in. The, don't let too many of us in the building because none of us are ever going to leave. Like right. this is way, way easier than than military life. So uh, it it was tough. It was certainly a tough first day and a, and a wake up call. But but at the same time, I very, very hopeful for the future. I suppose. So I know there was a, there was an old uh, stories about and actually I do I do another podcast called the Packaday Podcast and Mark Eckel as a, a longtime beat reporter for the Philadelphia Eagles. He's actually a big Packers supporter as well. And he, he told me that Reggie would sometimes, you know, he would kind of take it a little bit easy in practice on certain days. I'm going to assume that you probably didn't get the benefit of Reggie taking it easy on that day. Well, he probably was. I was just awful, right? <laughs> I mean, honestly. But I, I, my Reggie White story is, is that I played, you know, like I said, in, in Naval Academy, I practiced extremely hard, even though I really didn't have any business doing it. So I would go out there and, like Santana Dotson's is like week eight, week nine. And he's just, you know, kind of on, on pro mode and I'm punching him as hard as I can. And I went down the line, punching everybody, punching everybody playing and out of control, not no technique, just, you know, trying to pick up everything I could from Frank Winters and Jeff Dallenbach. And, uh, and finally Matt Willig was playing right tackle for the scout team. He goes, Hey man, I need a break. You come over here and, and play right tackle. And so I didn't know that everyone else is in on the joke except for me. So I go over there and it's Reggie. I'm like, all right, I'm going to give Reggie White, you know, I'm going to punch him hard too. So Reggie White picks me up and basically just like throws me past the quarterback. Right. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I readjust my helmet and uh, I get back <laughs> to the huddle and I go, okay, well, it's another pass, but it's like third, we're doing like third down or something. Another pass. So, I go, all right, I'm really going to lay into him this time. I'm really going to lay in. I'd say it out loud. I'm really going to lay into Reggie White this time. So, Reggie hits me with the club when I try to lay into him. And I'm not lying when I say I do a full rotation in the air and I land on my opposite hip. Like I'm laying flat back on my, you know, looking up and the and practice stops because everybody's in on it except for me. And Holmgren just walks over and kind of looks over at me. I'm literally laying on the ground. I'm trying to pop up, get myself up. And he goes, get up. He's done that to players a lot better than you. Keep going to practice. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that's that was the only day where I felt like the full wrath of, of of Reggie White, but he's from a different planet, man. No, for sure. Well, and you you did you did spend some time in Seattle also with Mike Holmgren. So did did you did you get into Mike Holmgren's good graces? And so he 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 obviously yeah. had something to do with bringing you to Seattle at the end. 
Yeah, it was funny, you know, because things work out. And, and then he had Hutch, uh, uh-huh. Steve Hutchinson, mm-hmm. Hoff. I mean, he's much, much, much better player than, than I was, especially early on. Uh, but he kind of he made a statement in the Seattle papers that was like, I'm, I made a huge mistake not playing Mike Wall early on. I'm not going to make the same mistake with this guy. And, uh, you know, I, somebody sent that to me and I, we, you know, I, I got a hold of Mike and said, thanks for saying that and stuff. And so uh, when and, and I, you know, I think to be honest with you, Mike, I, about halfway through the season, I think we were playing Detroit on Thanksgiving and he um, he kept me after and he said, I really like the way you're working. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring you to this game because, you know, back then they, they shut down four players on a Friday night or four or five players. And it was like me, Jim Nelson, Matt Hasselbeck, and, uh, and somebody else would always get shut down. But they, they, Mike took the time to say, I really like the way you're working. I know you're trying to improve and I appreciate it. So they took me to that game. And I, I think I got to go to a couple games after that. And, um, actually got into a, I think a play uh, with the Chicago bears game at the end of the season. So, um, yeah, I, I love Mike. It's just, <laughs> you know, the, the part the business part of this, especially when you're, uh, Wet behind the ears, twenty-one year old, just happy to be, just happy for the opportunity and, and kind of out of the naval academy structure and, and into the pro football structure, not knowing what the hell you're doing at all. Um, you don't quite understand. That's pretty naive. Well, you definitely benefited from something, and and when you're coming into a situation where a team is essentially a Super Bowl champion, and he just won it two years ago, was at the Super Bowl the year prior. He might know a thing or two about what it takes to succeed in the league, and so it look it looks like the, the the light bulb definitely went off. You had yourself a really great career, and like I said, Packers fans have very fond memories of your time here. and And as we look to the future right now, the Packers have some young offensive linemen on their roster. So yeah. Josh Myers is the rookie center who's going to start. Took most of the reps in the first preseason games this past weekend. Right guard seems a bit up for grabs, so here we are talking about the guard position. Lucas Patrick was there last year. Ben Braden's taking some reps there. John Runya Jr. has taken some reps there too. So as far as as evaluating young offensive linemen and the talent, and maybe speak to how the the position and the game has changed to this point, Mm but well, how do coaches evaluate young offensive linemen? What are they looking for? And when we're watching games, what kind of things should we also look for to see, you know, who's who's got it and who might not? So when I when I talk about, you know, technical ability, I guess you start with technical ability. And you really have to start from the ground up. You start with footwork, right? So you just watch these guys and, and basically are their feet underneath them? It's a very, very simple thing to look at from a from a spectator standpoint. If they're if they're ever showing you that end zone copy, are their feet underneath them? You know, are, they, are they are their feet in a phone? Imagine you're in a London phone booth, right? Are your feet in the phone booth or are they outside the phone booth? Right there is going to tell you a lot about not only their technical ability or their 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 ankle mobility and their their hip mobility, things like that, but it's going to tell you a lot about kind of what kind of power they can deliver, because that's where that's where everything starts and stops for me is 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 your footwork, and then you start you talk about their ability to to bend. We always talked about being a knee bender, but really it's a hip hinge. Like you imagine you're trying to broad jump, you get into that hip hinge position where you're 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 bent at the at the hips, not the waist, but the hips. You're loaded in that like that glued hamstring posterior chain area. Can you can you deliver power from there under control? And then we just watch their hands. You know, are you are you a person that can win with inside hands? And if you if you lose initially, can you redirect? Um, and if you can get those things down, I mean. I'll tell you, I, I I work with pro guys. I work with with high school, college, and I can look at your stance and your initial footwork. And for ninety five percent of the players out there, their stances are wrong, and their initial footwork just being the in other words, just being really good at the basics of your sport, right? 
they're deficient at. So if you can just get really good at your stance and your initial footwork, you're going to, and, and you've clear like the physical hurdle to play in the NFL, you're going to have a really, really successful career because most people don't have that. So as far as the transition from college to, and I, I'm sure the offensive system has something to do with it, but mm-hmm. how was that for you and how is it for, for young kids? Is that a position where they say it's, it's, it's a tougher transition or do you find that, hey, if you've got those good mechanics in high school and college, they generally carry over to the pro level? Yeah, if you if you have a good coach that's taught, that's taught you how to move properly, you have the, the movement patterns associated with your positional requirements, and you know you, you just have a good head on your shoulders and you have the ability to learn. You like to take a little pain, give a little pain kind of idea. Uh, with the schemes that they run now, it's like you watch the Packers games, right? If you watch a Packers playoff game against the Rams last year, it's and the way they called the game is an absolute thing of beauty. Because they have a phenomenal defensive line on the other side. And it's like Aaron Rodgers might have thrown one five-step drop in the first half, too. You know? And even those, he's getting rid of the ball quick. But so many uh, play-action passes, keep passes, handoffs, three-step drops, quick, uh, you know, the, the quick screen game. I mean, it's such an offensive line-friendly offense that they're running up there, particularly in Green Bay, that if you can just look at, you know, we, we used to just look at it this way. Depending on who's in your division, from let's say defensive tackle. So John Randall, when I got in the, the league, was when I got in the league was was a kind of he was the guy, right? So we knew twice a year we were gonna have a really really bad day. But then you start looking around the league, and you can do this now. I do this with our guys now. You look around the league and you go, there's really not that many guys that should give you a really really hard day's work, you know, playing and play out. Given that one the schemes that they're running are very, very friendly because there's so many key passes, so many long play action passes. There's not a lot of seven step drops anymore, at least in the offenses we're talking about right now, this in, in, in uh, the Packers offense. And then, you know, truthfully technique has been um, kind of etched out in, in replaced with, with scheme and just understanding we can put bodies in positions to be successful instead of just, you know, teaching everybody how to win their one V one matchups that if you can win your 1v1 matchups, you know, in those four, five, six, seven, eight plays a game that you it's really required that you win and you're on an island, then, man, you're going to be a really good player. Right, yeah. It's all about that, that technical skills and some of those, those uh, the simple things, the sweet, simple things, as I like to call them, uh, the fundamentals and the mechanics too, right? So yeah. getting back to last season, the Packers were in the NFC Championship game. Aaron finally gets his home conference championship game, which was unfortunately not something you got to experience with the Packers. But uh, the Packers had a fourth and goal, and it was the end of the game, and Coach Matt LaFleur decides to kick a field goal, and he's going to put the ball back in the hands of Tom Brady and hope that the defense, who, to be fair, had performed well. Brady had actually not played a great game. You think he threw three interceptions, and I think LaFleur was was betting a little bit on his defense. But – uh, kick to field goal. So it, it kind of took me back in a different way to the 2003 season. I guess it would be the 2004 playoffs. You guys are playing the Eagles. We all know how the game ended. But mm-hmm. Coach Sherman, you've got a, again, you've got a fourth down. It's fourth and one, if I recall correctly. So that's a much different situation because the pay, last year it was, I think they were 10 yards away and it was, it was fourth and 10. But, you know, at that point, you guys are the best offensive line in football. You've got Amon Green, who's run for 1,800 yards and was, was in any other season as the top running back in, in football running away. 
uh, pun intended. How did that set with you when when Coach Sherman Terrible. decided that that uh, that he wasn't going to go for it? And if I recall correctly, that wasn't the first fourth and one situation in that game. Well, that's what happened. So the first time we played those guys on Monday Night Football, we ran for 250 and we lost. And I think the next this time we, we ran for over 200 and we lost again. The problem was on on the goal line early in the game, we're, we're dominating uh, possession. Uh, I think Brett had a great ball to Javon Walker in the slot or it was Ferguson or Javon Walker in the slot for a t- first touchdown. And we're down on the other side in the second quarter. It's fourth and inches on the goal line. And we run this play that we've never run before. It was called 92G lead. And it was basically like – it wasn't quite our power that we usually ran for a touchdown down there, but it was a little bit kind of a similar idea. And Corey Simon penetrated on the right side of the line. He just kind of dove through everybody's legs. He clipped me as I'm pulling around. I clip him on. We go down in this you know, uh, heap of, uh, of disaster, and we don't convert. And so we get down to this you know, fast forward. We're slugging out during this game. We feel like we have this game in hand. All we have to do is convert a fourth in inches, and – you know, I'll never forget. You could just see Brett's Brett's head went down in the huddle because he he got the call, and we went and lined up and uh, and I don't remember the guy's name, so no disrespect to him, but Darvin Ham was not in the game. It was his backup against me. So it was Mike Flanagan at center, myself, and this backup defensive lineman playing nose tackle in uh, in the uh, in the in the plus a gap, and. We're literally screaming at Brett to hike the ball and just follow us because there's no way on God's green earth that that guy's not going to get rolled. And uh, you know, you do what the you, you run the play. Brett did the right thing, obviously, but I, that was a that was the that was the tough one to swallow for sure. So everybody calls it the fourth and twenty six game, but Mark Eckel has coined, and now I call it the fourth and one game. Yeah. Because that that would have made a, a made a big difference, and that was obviously a, a, a huge turning point in that game. And everyone thinks, you know, everyone seems to forget that wasn't the end of the game, but it it changed obviously the complexion of everything. And then we all know how how things went from there. So, how do you feel now? As as I mean, you've got a strong competitive spirit. You can hear it in your voice, and obviously, there's a reason why you were as good as you were. Guys, teams are going for it on fourth down all the time. Or is it, does it frustrate you watching today's game and just being like, man, I missed out on all these fourth downs if I would have just played 10 years later? Uh-huh. Well, no, I don't even think about it, honestly. I, I, I do like – so there's there's so many there's so many stats and, and there's there's so much uh, measurement of the game that goes on now and, and it's put in the wrong people's hands that I do like to see something that's actually valuable, just understanding that – there's situations like you know, that that will increase your your opportunity. There's still some contextual intelligence that has to go along with when you're gonna when you're gonna go for it on fourth, obviously. But um, you know, from an offensive lineman standpoint, we always want to go for it on fourth and one because that usually means we're gonna run the ball. We love it, you know. Um, we and you know, it's it's much better than fourth and three or fourth and four where they have an excuse to throw it. We want to go anytime it's close. We'd just rather go for it because we always think we can get it. That's if you don't have that mentality, you don't really belong in the league. Uh, so I, I guess my hat's off to the people that are, that are trying to do it more often, certainly. But, um, you know, I, I, I do always kind of look a little bit sideways at all of the measuring and analytics and, and like, you know, I, sometimes I'll hear pro football focus talking about this, this person's, you know, pass, pass rush win or loss rate or run blocking rate. And I just, it, it just, yeah, I think it's sad because without context to understand what's going on in the play, uh, you, you can, you know, a lot of people are, are, are I guess, uh, they're, they're, the information that's being, they're, they're being misportrayed. 
Right, yeah. And there's that, that context does get lost too. And like you said, I, I think I used the term numbers earlier when I said, when you did you know you're going to put up those numbers? And for an offensive lineman, that's just not the life that you guys live. You guys don't get on the stat right. sheet much. And so, you know, how, do, how else do you determine how well someone is doing? Well, that's one metric. You know, Pro Football Focus does a good job, but it's not the end-all, be-all. There's a lot of other things that, that you have to look for. And some of those other things that you mentioned earlier, too, that, that you look for in offensive line play. So, I had to ask you something too, because this has always really intrigued me. But obviously, when you're playing in the NFL, you got to take on all these huge defensive linemen. So you got to keep your weight up, right? So mm-hmm. you can, and, and as soon as you finish playing, it sounds like, you know, the weight comes off because that's just not, you know, that's not a natural weight to be playing at. So what was it like keeping your weight up? And then how fast or how soon was it after you stopped playing that um, you found yourself kind of closer to the size that you are now? So I was, I was work, I was a workout guy. I, that's all I liked. Uh, you know, I was, I was the kind of guy who I, I liked to prepare to, to play. I liked to play. And then I liked to hang out with my wife and my friends. I didn't really have anything else going on. That was just what, those are my interests. And so working out was great. Um, I eat over 7,000 calories a day, trying to keep my weight up. I worked out usually twice a day in the off season. And by the end of my career, I'd blown out my shoulder twice. So I really couldn't lift and keep the weight on like I wanted to muscle mass wise. So once uh, I you know, determined that my career was actually going to end and I retired, taking the weight off you know, actually happened too fast. I, I think I took too much off too soon. And um, I kind of I had a goal for myself to be 265 and just be a little bit thicker up top. And I just shot right through that, dropped down to like 245. And then been, I've really been there or right around there ever since. Interesting. It's always really intrigued me because you see that you see some of these offensive linemen. You know, I think of like Aaron Taylor, who used to play for uh for for green bay and he, he was oh, on yeah, tv for a while and, well, yep. and he 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 got thin and you just it's just it's so it's so bizarre because you look at these guys it's like man they were so big and then and then you just come back down to earth a little bit and you're you're more of a normal size there so um, well offense alignment if you're 300 pounds you're going to go one way or the other you're going to lose 50 pounds you're going to gain it i know plenty of both right it's about 50 50 for me on I'm, I'm my friends but uh you're definitely you're definitely going one way or the other. I don't know any 300 pounders that are still three just 300 pounds. Right, right, yeah, that makes sense. Well, and in and in college, uh, you know, coming out of college, did you uh, what were you an offensive lineman at Navy? Didn't you? Did you play on uh, any yeah, other positions? I, I, no, I started it. Well, I started as a tight end. Um, I got to boot camp, lost 30 pounds in boot camp, uh, and and I got to the. I got over to the, the football office and they had gotten rid of the tight end position. They were running the, the option, the wing tee. And so I started as a blocking wide receiver because I was 205 coming out of boot camp. Put my weight back on. Uh, had knee braces in my locker the next spring ball. I was about 245, 255. And just realized that um, if I was going to get on the field and I was going to stay at Navy, that was, that was the way I was going to do it. So I started eating the fat shakes, had pizza for dessert every night, lifted like crazy. And... Uh, Yes. It's amazing what can happen if you if you just tell your metabolism, you must change now. <laughs> right. Right. Absolutely. Well, all that turned into was a fantastic 11-year career, seven with the Green Bay Packers, an all-pro Pro Bowl season to throw into the mix there. He is former Packers great Mike Wall. Mike, thank you so much for coming on to the Quick Slants podcast and for a few minutes today to uh, talk a little bit of Packers past and present. Hey, really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. It was former offensive lineman and all-pro Mike Wall. Had a great time talking to Mike. Hope everybody enjoyed that conversation. 
Once again, this is Jason Perrone for the Quick Slants Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Jason Perrone. Tweet me, send your me your ideas, questions, any topics that you want covered. Happy to get after it. And speaking of getting after it, I will be back next week. I may not have a show on Monday due to some unforeseen circumstances, but I will definitely be here by Thursday with some more thoughts about the Packers preseason game two and what is shaping up to be a really deep 2021 Packers roster. So in the meantime, everybody, enjoy the rest of your week and your weekend. Be safe. And as always, Go Pack Go! Rodgers fakes the handoff. Quick throw right side. There's Devontae. From right to left, cutting left to the 50, to the 45-40. Track down from behind. 